18. We want to think about worship today. As we come together, obviously this is worship in the context of taking the Lord's Supper. But we come today, we're not taking the Lord's Supper, but we're still worshiping. All the aspects are the same. The real important thing, Jesus, that Jeannie just sang about, is why we're here. I read a true account a few years back of a man named Pat Novak. Pat was a pastor. He kind of got down to the end of his career and he decided he was going to be a chaplain in a Boston, Massachusetts hospital. It can be a challenging task. And on one occasion, he was asked to go visit a man named John. He didn't know anything about John. You know how hospitals are very secretive and can't give out any information, all that kind of thing. And um, so he walks in to the hospital room. He had never in all of his years seen anybody so on death's door as John. He described him, and I wrote a few things down, um, skin hung loose, hollow eyes, literally no voice, hadn't eaten anything in days. Pat Novak was a pretty bold individual. And he said to John laying there, he could tell that John knew he was there, but his eyes were kind of half closed and not much response. He said, um, John, I'm a Christian, are you? And John, who could hardly speak, said, yes. And Pat Novak had never done this before. In fact, it was a no-no in the hospital. He said, John, if you're a Christian, would you like to for us to have communion, the Lord's Supper together right here, right now. Added to all of John's health issues came tears streaming down his eyes. And he could get these words out to Pat Novak. I can't. I'm too big a sinner. To which Pat Novak said, we serve a God who forgives sin. If we confess it, he forgives and he cleanses. And John, laying there this close to death, confesses his sin to the Lord. Pat Novak says, John, would you like to take communion right now? After he'd confessed. And he said, I would. And together, they had a little juice there, a little grape juice, I think, or apple juice, some kind of juice was there, and a little bread. And they shared communion, just the two of them. That was the first of any sustenance that John had taken. Well, Pat Novak prayed with him. They shared, actually, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to the end that we read today. Pat Novak, after he prayed, left the room, went on with his chaplaincy work. Three days later, 
found out that John walked out of the hospital. True story. That is a lot about what 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34 has to say. We come here today to worship, to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, to sing praises to him, to think about the truth that he has so graciously given to us in his word. And I want you to know, folks, it's a serious matter. It's a serious matter. And I want us to look at this particular passage from about four different angles. First one I entitle, if you want some hooks to hang things on, the problems that hinder worship. The problems that hinder worship. And you will find those in verses 17 through 22. It's not a secret. It's not some hidden thing. And it's not some unusual thing that isn't true even today. Paul names it, doesn't he, very clearly. Look with me at verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. I want us to see that these problems fit under three names. The first one is mentioned right there. The word in the Greek is schisma. What word do you think we get? Schism. And you remember that already through 10 chapters, Paul has addressed a number of different problems with division in the Corinthian church. Remember the very first one? We won't go over all of them. But the very first one was they were divided over who was their spiritual leader, who led them to the Lord, who did they really respect in the Lord as leaders. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And you remember they were divided, contentious, around their spiritual leaders. What a shame. What a shame. And Paul sets them straight. Here, it would appear that their schism, their division, maybe had to do with their socioeconomic status in life. Did you notice that some came full of food, some did not. And the important thing, I think, for us to realize is Satan will use anything he can to create division in the church of God. I don't care if it's what college you went to. I don't care if it's um, what hymn book you prefer or who your favorite author is outside of the Bible. It makes no difference. Satan wants to create Division and strife, doesn't he? Because those things cause confusion. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. You and I need to be mindful. Every time we come to worship, whether we're taking communion or not, that if there is something divisive or divisive about us, We need to handle that matter. You know the kind of division that I hate the most? The division that's inside of me. I know the truth here, but I don't feel like it over here. You know that division? Anybody experience it but me? It's real, isn't it? It happened. Now, I don't think that's what Paul was talking about here. I'm just giving you some examples of how we can be divided. 
how important it is that you and I are so careful to not let Satan's divisive ways come in. Schisms. Schisms. The second thing I see that was divisive were their stomachs. Say, how could your stomach be divisive? Well, you can see it in the, in the verses there. Um, he says, you come to get together, not for the better, but for the worse. Because what? What was happening there? Notice when it says in verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Wait a minute. That's why they came. No, no, no. What they came for is verse 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. It was very common. You remember that in the origination of the Lord's Supper, Jesus was sitting down with his disciples. Matthew and Mark record this. And it was the Passover. And what started as the Passover meal the night before Jesus would be crucified, Jesus turned into the first communion or Lord's Supper. One of the things that developed out of that was that the church, early church, would come together and they would have what they called an agape feast, a love feast, a big feast of food. We might call it potluck. Now, I don't particularly like that term. I think we ought to start calling it multiple choice meal. (laughs) Don't you think that sounds a little better? Pot has taken on a real negative connotation and luck is not something I believe in. So, um, you know, my point is, do you get the idea? They're coming together and they're going to have this luscious feast together before they take the Lord's Supper. And guess what happened? Their stomachs become divisive because some come very hungry and they demand to be first in line. I don't know how they did it, but you can see the very idea there. Isn't it amazing? And really, stomachs aren't the problem. I'm I'm not trying to be cute, but you can see here that their stomachs were an issue. But really, the issue was their selfishness. Their selfishness. They were only thinking about themselves. And we've talked repeatedly here as we've gone through 10 chapters in 1 Corinthians how pride and selfishness has been at the root of all of the problems that the Corinthian believers, the church in Corinth, that Paul founded and won many of them to the Lord, was at the very root of the issues. The third kind of division I see here is division that happens when we come to worship with some known sin in our life and we don't deal with it. Aren't you glad that you can confess your sin in the foyer? You can confess your sin in the car before you get out. You can confess your sin in the restrooms. You don't have to wait and confess your sin at the altar. Now, that's a good place to go. But I'm just saying the Lord doesn't stipulate any certain place. 
any place we are if we confess our sin. That's why at the end of here, he talks about you are taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, irreverently, hypocritically. What were they doing? They were coming and they were sharing in this communion time, this remembrance. Paul lays it out here exactly. And, but they were all about themselves. They were all about their own little cliques and schisms. They were all about their sin. And they came and seemingly minimized what their sins were. I want to remind you, God looks at every sin the same. He's repulsed by it. Don't ever be thinking, oh, there's big sins and there's little sins and I'm okay if I commit a few little sins. Not true. If you miss in one point, you're guilty of all, James says. I didn't quote that quite right, but that's what that's the essence of what James was saying. So the first thing we see in our text is what were the problems hindering their worship? It was division and division over schisms, apparently socioeconomic, it would appear, and maybe other ways. It was divisions caused by their stomach and their food and what they wanted and the selfishness that was there. And it was unconfessed sin. That brings me to the second thing. The person that is to be worshipped. We don't come here to worship the pastor. We don't come to worship the musicians. We don't come to worship, although you maybe greatly appreciate the nursery workers if you have babies. But we come to worship the Lord. Look at verses 23. Paul says, For I have received... Of the Lord, from the Lord, that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, speaking of Judas, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The very aspect of our worship is to remember the Lord Jesus. I want to say to all you musicians out here, thank you so much for making the Lord Jesus the central message of the music that you sing and that we minister. Jeannie particularly, today that blessed, I could see it tying in perfectly here. It is about Jesus, isn't it? Jesus who saved you. Jesus who sustained you. Jesus who loves you unconditionally. Jesus who cares about you more than anything else. It's about him. It's about him. Must never forget. Never forget. I'm reminded, and I wrote down three thoughts under this. Jesus designed this communion, this worship idea. Secondly, Jesus desired it. Did you notice what Paul said in the text here that we just read? He said, I received it, and what did I do? I delivered it unto you. Here we are 2,000 years later, and what are we experiencing? The Lord Jesus sharing worship, encouraging us to worship him. 
whether we take communion or not, lifting up his name, glorifying him, extolling everything about him. The most important thing that I think not only did Jesus design it and Jesus um, desired to share it, but Jesus died for it. Look at verse 26. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's, what? Death till he come. You know, folks, our worship is truly about life and death matters. Isn't it really? I don't know, Rich. I thought about this and I never said a word to you before. Would you be willing to share what you shared at prayer meeting this morning? Just stand right there. You got a good voice or you can come up here if you want. But um, about the young man who got killed this past summer at Ambassador. Not he didn't get killed at Ambassador, but he was a student at Ambassador Baptist Bible College. Amen. Serious matter. We're not here to play around. We're not here to fill our stomachs. We're here to fill our heart with truth. To receive it and to do something about it. To act on it. To live it outside those doors. To let people know and identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they had a problem. They didn't recognize the person of the Lord Jesus. But I want you to see the third thing. The purpose of our worship. Look at verses 23. I already read it. But I noticed, and this is where I get my title, Heads Up, about worship. When we say to someone, Heads Up, we're saying, Hey, look out. Something might be coming your way. Okay? Notice 
the directionality that the scripture gives to where we're to look. First of all, verses 23 through 26, Paul is reminding them, I am constantly looking back to what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. Can I encourage us here? I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. Keep looking back and remembering what Jesus did for you. Don't lose sight of everything that Christ has done that's important. Because eternity will be all about him. Not about us and what he's done. Notice verse 26, the second part. You do show the Lord's death till he comes. Not only should we be looking back, but we need to constantly remember. We need to look ahead. We need to be remembering weekly, daily, what we're here for and what this is all about. It's about lifting up the Lord Jesus and worshiping him. But maybe one of the more significant parts about communion is found in verses 27 through 28 and verse 31, where it says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, what's the word? What's the word? Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Worship is about looking within. Sitting where you're sitting. I spent a lot of years in this church. Not up here, sitting down there. You know what I've learned about the guy that sits, stands up here? He has to sit before this a lot more than 35 minutes during, the, during Sunday. We ought to be constantly, faithfully examining ourselves. If we're going to judge ourselves, what does that mean? I wrote down six things. It means we need to lose our self-life and choose the Christ life. Putting him first. Seeking his wisdom and counsel through prayer in everything we do. Nothing be done for self-glory and selfishness. We need to see our sinfulness as totally repulsive to God. That's part of examining ourselves. Boy, listen, we're in trouble if we ever sit at home having devotions and say, I'm not so bad. Those are dangerous words. We are so bad. Brother Francine, that's not very kind. Well, I'm not trying to be unkind, but isn't that what the word says? Every man at his very best state is altogether vanity. All have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. means denying self, denying our flesh. It means replacing self-consciousness with Christ-consciousness. It means being controlled by the Spirit of God to really look within and examine ourselves. It's to reject self-esteem for esteeming others. That's really what 
he means here when he says, examine yourself. Judge yourselves. Problems everywhere in the Corinthian church. A person, the Lord Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. The purpose of our worship, look back, look ahead, constantly be looking up and looking within. Fourthly, the penalty for unworthy worship. Look with me. These are serious words. 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. What is Paul saying? He is clearly saying, because of your divisiveness, because of your unconfessed sin, because of your selfishness, there are those right now in the church at Corinth that are sick. Maybe they're sick emotionally. Maybe they're sick mentally. Maybe they're sick physically. But they're experiencing sickness. They're weak. They don't have the strength to do what they're supposed to do. And when the Bible says many sleep, what does it mean? Many have died. Many have died. Now that doesn't mean that all weakness, sickness, and death comes from unconfessed sin. We know we're all going to die. Time and chance, Ecclesiastes says, happens to us all. But the important point here that is being spoken is this. When we come together, even right now, we need to be honest about our examination about ourselves. In no way should we, should we pretend we are something we're not. I had the privilege to do Bible class this last week. I subbed a couple of days because the stars were taking the kids to the summit. And we talked, we're in Galatians there, chapter 1. And we talked about that there were many there in the Galatian church that weren't being honest about themselves. They were saying they trusted in Christ, but they were practicing what? Going back to the old work your way to heaven mentality, the law. A lot of Jews doing that very thing. And it's so important that we're honest and we don't lie to ourselves. In fact, I um, brought a couple of objects from home. You have these same objects, I'm sure. I'll try to be careful with them because they're my wife's. Um, I think God is saying worship is about tarry ye for one another. What's that mean? Reach out. Care for. Be concerned. Be in prayer. Examine yourself. Judge yourself. That doesn't mean Bob does this. It means Bob does this. Doesn't it? 
know what we have a tendency to do? When things are going good, we have a tendency to do this. Hmm, yeah, pretty good. When things aren't going so good, right? Am I the only one? It's a problem. It's what Paul's talking about here. It's exactly what he's talking about. Worship is about coming together in the Spirit, confessing sin, dealing with wrong attitudes and motives and heart issues, and looking for ways to tarry, that's the word in the text, to minister to one another. And I remind us of this all the time. The only, if the only ministry is coming from the pulpit to the congregation, we're not getting the whole picture. Because every one of you have the privilege to minister to one another. Encourage one another. I've told you many a time, I've gone to church and somebody said something to me in the hallway that ministered to me more that day based on what I needed than what came from the pulpit. And I'm not demeaning the pulpit. I'm just saying that's what this is saying. Hey, Corinthians, what in the world are you doing? You're all divided about all kinds of things. Your stomach is your selfish habit. You're gluttonous. You're drunk. You're doing all kinds of wrong things. Instead, you should be coming. And you should be first and foremost that didn't lie. Didn't lie. Spoke the truth, didn't it? Once you've done that, you're ready to really worship. A lot of potential to tarry. Would you agree? See that brother back there, John Dodson? Such an encouragement to have you back. I've seen that brother go through pancreatic cancer treatment and it was an up and down road. Wasn't it, Polly? I mean, it was a roller coaster. And every time I visited, every time I contacted or called, it wasn't poor me. Life is rotten. God is not fair. Because God is good. Polly, your text this week about Joshua was a great encouragement. What's worship about? In two words, examination and tearing. That's really what is being spoken of here. How important it is. I did hear a cute story that I was thinking about putting in. Ladies, don't take any offense on this. But... Um, I'm already offended. Okay, well... <laughs> I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? True story, true story. They're having communion in the Baptist church. And it was kind of a slower process in that church. 
So they passed the bread. And everybody that was a believer, been scripturally baptized, took of the bread. And this man was kind of new in the church, and there were two ladies in front of him. And after the bread passed, the ladies together pulled out their little, I think they used to call them compacts. You flip it up and it had a mirror and it had this powdery junk that gets all over my cell phone when my wife uses my phone. But flipped up the mirror, checking themselves out. That is not what examination means. Let's, let's put away things that are insignificant. I remind you, the Bible says, Meat and drink is not what the kingdom of God is all about. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's really worship the Lord. And how do we worship him? In spirit and in truth. In spirit. Now that's not here, but in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. God wants us to have worship every time we meet. It's interesting that the church in America just calls the morning service worship. We say evening service and we say midweek service and all those kind of things. But you know what? Every time we come together, it should be for this and it should be for this. Would you agree? Good, because that's what the Bible says. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that